0: This is the Employee Experience in Education podcast, the teacher retention podcast for school leaders, and I'm your host, Eric Brainstetter. In this podcast, we'll speak with educational leaders, former educators, and industry experts to better understand the employee experience in education. Our goal is to equip school leaders with realistic and actionable strategies to keep more teachers in the classroom. On this episode, we'll speak with Kathy Hardin, Chief Human Resource Officer at Gwinnett County Public Schools. Today, Kathy shares impactful strategies employed by Gwinnett to attract and retain top talent, such as the importance of promoting creativity in education, their focus on creating career opportunities for teachers within the classroom, and how they are building and managing a top-tier recruiting strategy. Kathy, thanks so much for joining us today. I can't wait to hear about how you're applying your extensive HR experience and innovations into the K-12 world. But before we get to that, do you mind talking about yourself a little bit and who should be paying attention today?
1: Uh, absolutely. I'm Kathy Hardin. I'm the Chief Human Resources Officer for Gwinnett County Public Schools. Uh, I am proud to serve this district um, as the HR leader and strategic uh, leader for the district. Um, I am hopeful that um Teachers who are a part of Gwinnett County Public Schools, leaders who are a part of Gwinnett County Public Schools, and perhaps those who have an interest in joining Gwinnett County Public Schools would listen to this podcast so that that they can understand what we're offering, what we're doing here uh, as a school district to support um, our children who are the reason why we're all here.
0: That's right. That's fantastic. I'm looking forward to it today. So I know that you started your career in the HR function primarily in healthcare initially. What what drew you to healthcare?
1: Um, I think it's the mission of the work uh, and really uh, stemming around a feeling of uh, serving others and supporting those who serve. Um, all of the roles in HR really are support uh, positions and our work is to ensure that We are removing barriers um, for those who are are in the front line of the work, uh, which is why it was such an easy transition uh, to shift from healthcare to K-12, simply because um, those values of serving others um, translate very easily uh, into this industry.
0: I know that healthcare is known for the high burnout rates for both nurses and physicians. Nationally, it's about 20, 22% right now. Some areas are 40% plus. I'd love to hear from you how you thought about battling nurse and physician turnover. And then the follow-up question being, what did you learn from those experiences that you can translate into K-12 education?
1: I would probably say, as most organizations have done post-COVID, um, we have done a lot of different things to to work to address burnout, high turnover rates. Um, and to really keep employees engaged. I don't think there is a clear, one, right answer uh, to that question, I think, by organization and industry. I think you have to look at, uh, one, what your marketplace is doing, and two, what does your organization stand for and what's important internally to your organization? And I can tell you uh, at Emory, it was very important for Emory to create create an environment um, of safety, an environment of trust uh, for employees to be able to just raise their hand to say, um, I'm burned out. Um, Perhaps I may need to step away and do something different. And or I may need to step step away temporarily and want to understand that the door will be open for me to come back should I choose uh, to do that. And we certainly did have some turnover where employees wanted to walk away for a while and really you know, take care of self, take care of family, uh, and providing support around self-care, providing support for those who were caregivers um, of others. I think those things are extremely important for any employer to embrace and to ensure that people have what they need to be successful at home so that they can be successful and bring their best self to the workplace. Mm
0: -hmm. So what's so interesting, I think, about that is, especially in education right now, there's simply not enough teachers, not enough paraprofessionals, not enough bus. doesn't matter what the position is. There are not enough of them. So what you just said is allowing essentially freedom for people to say and, and articulate, I'm struggling right now, or maybe somebody at home is struggling right now, how do, you, how do you balance supporting people with the understanding that there is still a job to be done? There still has to be an adult.
1: The GCPS has taken the approach, first, I guess, let me back up a little bit just to talk about our blueprint. Our blueprint for the future is really our five-year strategic plan around how we approach our work. And one of the core pillars in that strategy is empathy. And so, obviously, putting yourself in the other person's position so that you can better understand how to support them uh, is something that we foundationally are working on throughout the district at every level, uh, at the building level, at the district level, with students, with teachers, with cafeteria workers, with everyone, to ensure that we are recognizing individual needs of people. Whether that means, and it doesn't mean that we have the capacity and or ability to let people just walk away. But what we try to do is build supports around people so that they have resources to um, address their personal needs. We highly encourage self-care and we are intentional about uh, providing that support for our students for our teachers, and for our building leaders. And we here at the district office are really, we are designed and set up to support what's happening at the local building level.
0: That's fantastic. And I have some more questions about that idea of self-care a little bit later in the conversation. I want to circle back to the healthcare just a little bit more because it's not a comparison. I know my lens is K-12 education. That's where I started. That's where I've been working I'm curious how how does the burnout affecting educators right now kind of relate to what you saw in healthcare? Is is burnout burnout across industries? Is it different maybe across industries? What have you seen?
1: I think the why um, may be different, but I think the outcome is very similar. The why for healthcare um, probably stems around just the high impact of COVID um, around staffing uh, and being able to keep the bedside staff being able to deal with the high uh, acuity of patients during that two year period watching peers and your colleagues coming down ill with covid losing peers who were at the bedside to covid it was an emotionally difficult period in healthcare physically demanding and And emotionally draining, I would say, because your role as a caregiver obviously is to take care of others, but then you have those who are providing the care, falling sick, falling ill, passing away. And so there was a huge lift that the organization had to to make around supporting those who are experiencing loss, providing grief counseling in real time, in the building, at the at that bedside, in that department, where people feel safe in a private space to go have those conversations, um, accommodating people when they needed to uh, take a leave of absence, reducing hours if necessary, you know. And we even had to deal with, you know, when you think about dealing with COVID and parlaying that over to K twelve when school was in a remote environment. Well. Those people who are parents to those students who were remote, we had to figure out how do we support people who need to be home with their children while they're being um, educated remotely. So a lot of, that was really a big kickoff of putting a lot of the positions in healthcare that were not direct patient care in a remote space or a hybrid space. Flexing on start and stop times so that people could, Maybe be at home early in the morning to get their, their child set up, you know, on the computer or waiting for someone else to come into their home to help them with that, and then coming into the building. So we really had to think creatively. We had to build the plane while we were flying it, uh, as most organizations did during those times, uh, those years of COVID, uh, because it was something that we had never seen before. And just when you thought you had address one challenge, you realize you had another challenge cropping up. And so it, we were just in continuous learner, learner stance and having to figure it out as, as we went. And the, the beauty of all of that was that everyone was willing to collaborate, to lean into each other and to learn together, um, to lean into in each other's strengths to think creatively, to go outside of the organization, to bring resources in, to be able to provide support that we couldn't internally support. Child care became an issue. There were even departments that could no longer function because of COVID that we had to shut down. So we then had to figure out how do we keep people employed and not have to furlough staff So just a variety of things that I believe every organization had to consider at some point in time. And I think everyone, you know, rose to the occasion as best they could based on the resources that they had available to them uh, and the supports that they had available.
0: Yeah, there was a, what, a two, two and a half year window where innovation was just critical in schools because the job of educators changed literally overnight, and it's jobs of parents, jobs of students, everybody's job, if you will, changed overnight. So there was a, a huge ramp up in innovation. Now that we're kind of in that post-COVID world, we're still looking at problems like retention issues, recruiting issues, not enough net new educators. What, what do you think innovation is going to look like in education for the next maybe a couple of years?
1: One thing that we're doing um, here at Gwinnett, and I think probably is happening across K-12, Uh, Slowly, but I I do see transitions happening. I believe that we're going to have to include everyone in that creativity, to include our legislators, um, our professional standards commissions. I think everyone is going to have to be a part of the equation. We have taken the approach at Gwinnett to really lean into providing career opportunities internally for our teachers to provide the opportunity for promotion without having to leave the classroom. So we're really focusing diligently on creating teacher leader pathways that allow teachers to take on very structured roles and responsibilities and to create pay structures for those, those roles that will allow that teacher an opportunity to see a promotion without having to leave the classroom. You know whether that's um, department chair or taking on some other work as deemed appropriate by that building leader or principal. Uh, but we want to be intentional around what the core responsibilities of that role are. And I think right now in districts, you see that teacher leader responsibilities may vary building to building. And I think it's based on what that principal needs in the moment. We don't want to take that flexibility away from our principals, but we do want to create some core, um, solid responsibilities that that person can be responsible for that's going to give them some actual growth, stretch them uh, professionally, and give them monetary increase along with that breadth of role responsibility. So we, we're we working uh, currently with that, we've involved teacher voice in understanding what that might look like. Uh, we've developed competencies for that work with teachers involved in that work.
0: Yeah, you you said two things in the same sentence. I've never, I'm not sure I've heard together in education speak, that is teacher and promotion. Because oftentimes promotion of teacher means I'm an assistant principal, I'm a dean. How, tell me a little bit more about how did you determine that that was the right move for your district?
1: Well, I didn't determine that, we listened. Not everyone has a desire to be an assistant principal or principal or to come to um, your central office or district office in order to get promoted. There are those who are tied to the classroom because that's where their heart is, that's their passion, is working with children directly every day and we need those people in our buildings. And so hearing that from our teachers and hearing that I want an opportunity to be promoted, but I don't want to have to leave the classroom. And so we sat down and we got very intentional about how do we create a pathway for teachers to get promoted, to get a salary increase, but not have to leave their kiddos. And that resonated clearly uh, with the teachers that we survey, teachers that we've spoken with in, in different environments, whether it's a think tank or in a survey or in this, this um, teacher leader work that we do, we clearly heard that message. And so it's been done before, probably not as widespread as how things are structured in most districts. But the concept is not totally new, but I think it's new to Gwinnett. And so we are. This year, we will be really working to hardwire that job description and to be able to stand that job up and have some criteria for principals to work with to identify folks that can go into those those, uh, teacher leader positions.
0: Yeah. Now, I want to step maybe a couple of steps back. So what I'm interested now in, and I think we'll come back to what you were just talking about, I'd love to kind of fill in a couple of those, those gaps. So You left uh, healthcare, you left non-K-12 education, became K-12 CHRO. What were your first 90 days like? Or when you were interviewing, having conversations for the position, you were casting a vision for what you thought the HR role in K-12 could be. Can you talk about maybe that vision a little bit in those first 90 days? I think that will then lead towards the work that you did for the, the teacher voice.
1: Sure. I really believe that, one, I think an external candidate was considered simply because our superintendent has identified that there is a need to think differently about how we approach the business of taking care of our people from a human resources perspective. This opportunity was attractive to me because I felt like I had the ability to innovate and bring that innovation into K-12 based on my past experiences and the successes that I've, I've had. I do believe foundationally that the work of human resources is the same no matter what industry you're in. You are supporting people, meeting the needs of the people in your organization, and addressing things as they shift. But I think what probably resonated with me the most was the need to build out what I call a true recruitment function. Typically in K-12, we have staffing directors or HR directors who really function as that conduit between the principal and the district office, HR, um, kind of for all things HR. And they do the staffing and leaders are doing their own interviewing and really kind of doing their own recruitment, if you will. And HR has really been seen as more of that tactical processing arm of getting a person in the building, if you will. So with building out this recruitment um, team, what we've done is we don't want to take the hiring away from the leader, but we certainly want to take away the the burden of that administrative work from leaders. And so building that recruitment team has allowed us to create a pipeline of qualified and alternatively certified teachers, screen those candidates, and make sure that the roster that a principal is looking at has been vetted and that those candidates are a pool of candidates that that principal can very high high likelihood would be able to make a hire from, from, that, from that selection. And so removing that burden of them having to figure out how am I going to create this pool. I'm not going to have to dig through a hundred resumes in the applicant tracking system. I'm going to get a pool of screened, qualified candidates that I can make an informed decision about and get that person in the building and then get back to my business of running the building. So we really want to remove that burden, uh, that administrative burden from principals so that they can be about the business. Of running their building and ensuring that our children are our children are getting what they need every day. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. And was your and by your not necessarily you as a person, but the organization did did you decide to move forward with recruiting because that's something that your administrators were talking about, were asking questions about.
1: It was actually a charge that I was given. It was a clear need um, in the district. My superintendent. Uh, Dr. Watts charged me with assessing and coming up with a strategy that could help move the work forward. And so uh, you talked about the first 90 days. Um, It was surely a look, listen, and learn process. And so I think coming in and kind of following away what I've done in the past and sitting on that and just being open to learning how are things done? Uh, What's working well? We heard a lot of feedback from principals and our principal supervisors around where the pain points were. And so just really hearing from the people who are invested in the work, what's important to them and understanding that that burden, that administrative burden kept resonating and rising to the top. And then when you think about recruiters bring something to the table, In every organization that really affords leaders the opportunity to not have to be so overly focused on where am I going to find my next, whatever that function might be, whether it's a teacher or a nurse. They can rely on and rest assured that my recruitment team is going to be working behind the scenes nonstop. I know K-12 is big on hiring seasons. Well, recruiters work all year. And our landscape has changed. I think everyone's hiring all year now in K-12. I I think that there are peak hiring seasons, but I think the entire school year is a hiring season um, simply because there are so many who have left industry, changed careers, retired post-COVID. We're not producing teachers at the rate that we used to produce teachers. And so we're really having to take all of that into consideration and rethink and reposition ourselves to ensure that we have a well-rounded recruitment strategy, expanding our footprint in the marketplace to ensure that those who probably maybe didn't know about Gwinnett County Public Schools, now they can start to see our name, they can recognize our brand. And we have really been leaning into that Uh, Recruitment strategy. We're doing digital campaigns, social media campaigns. We are even looking really to address Gwinnett County Public Schools. Has well, first, Gwinnett County is the most diverse county in the country, and our school district has a 34% Latino population. So we have a high need for dual language in Spanish and English. And we just made our first trip to Puerto Rico to recruit certified teachers in Puerto Rico. And we went there and met with the three universities there to establish that relationship. We've started our campaign for an event we'll have coming up in October. And we've already interviewed and hired, we've offered seven teachers to make the move from Puerto Rico to Gwinnett County Public Schools. Uh, and we're looking to put supports around those, those teachers um, to build affinity groups for those teachers so that they feel welcome, they feel at home, uh, and to create an environment for them that is welcoming. A sense of belonging is so important for students, um, for staff, for teachers. Everyone needs to feel like they're a part. And so that work, that's the, the really big feel-good part of the work, when you can really make that connection for people and meet the need of your organization at the same time.
0: And I think too, when you think about recruiting with with teacher turnover being what it is right now, it's almost like you're recruiting every teacher, every staff member every year as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you think about in this point in time, we have five generations in the workplace. But when you think about baby boomers beginning to exit the workplace. Baby boomers are probably making up in K-12, I won't say the vast majority, but a significant portion of our workforce uh, in K-12. And so we've got to be intentional about being ready to figure out how do we replace those people and how do we download that institutional knowledge. It's not just about replacing a body. It really is about Retaining your organizational knowledge and keeping that strength. Gwinnett County Public Schools has an awesome employer brand. We want to keep that brand. We want to improve on that as we go. And so, ensuring that we can speak to what it is that we value as an organization and what we're doing to be successful with our children, what are we doing to ensure that our children's needs are being met and then our graduation rates are steadily climbing, uh, climbing. So that institutional knowledge is as important as having a person in the seat. And that's how you maintain your brand.
0: That's right. And you talked about, so specifically with the administrators, that administrative burden, right, of the hiring process and recruiting. So you determined that was you know, coming up in conversations. That's an area of focus. Now you have about 11,000 teachers, 177,000 or so students. I get overwhelmed <laughs> thinking about strategy implementation for an organization of that of that size. How do you then shape, so once you've determined, okay, data points are leaning towards this direction, how do you shape an HR strategy for an organization of your size, especially since you were new to both the position and the industry?
1: So I think, you know, I mentioned earlier um, that the work is the work regardless of your industry. I think learning the industry is extremely important so that you can understand um, how to focus your work. But the work of recruiting uh, is very simple. It's identifying your need and then targeting your audience to help you meet your need. And so I came to the table with that being really a strength, I think, Um, for me as an HR leader. I started my career as a recruiter. And so I've I've done all of the functions in HR that make the work happen. So I understand from the from the ground what it takes to be successful in attracting the right candidates. I've built recruitment strategies year over year over year. And they do have to shift. They're fluid. You you build a strategy today, but you have to monitor continuously uh your return on that investment and how are the various strategies producing results. And if you see something that's not working well, you stop doing that and start doing something different. So staying fresh and on top of your strategy day in and day out. I do have um, a third party group that we work with that helps us to review our data and our metrics to see what's working. We are now able to track who we're driving into our applicant tracking system. When I when I came here, we were not able to see what was working and what wasn't working. So now we can see what campaigns produce high yield, what campaigns aren't producing very much. And so those that aren't producing much, you stop. And then you start investing in the things that are working well. Uh, and just being open to creativity. When we heard the need of having such significant linguistic needs in the district. We heard about this program and recruiting teachers in Puerto Rico, and we did some investigation and due diligence to make sure that everything was on the up and up, and we decided that this was something we needed to pursue and um, talked it over with our superintendent. We got the green light, and I am so excited about the potential that this could have on the impact of our students. When you think about a kindergarten student or a first grade student who comes to school who may not speak very much English and not seeing anyone in the classroom that looks like them. That self-identity is so important and allowing children, all children, to be able to make that connection is so important to that child thriving and being successful. And so I'm just really excited about that. And I probably could not have picked a better district to make this transition from healthcare to K-12. Gwinnett County Public Schools has been extremely supportive. Principals are supportive. Uh, the district leaders are supportive. And they have made this transition very easy for me.
0: That's great. Love to hear that. How do you then, and I I think I know the answer because you had mentioned, you know, tracking metrics, but how do you stay lean and agile being an organization of your size, especially knowing, you know, it, it takes a while to get the ship going in some direction and then you collect data and is it as simple as, okay, we're going to stop doing this and start doing something else, or is there more to this whole idea of being lean and agile?
1: it's really understanding, you know, what it is that you're looking at and, and what your strategy is set to accomplish for you. So if you're not meeting meeting the goal of what that particular strategy is set out to do, then you figure out, well, how long do you want to stick with it? And I think a lot of that comes with experience. Eric, I've been doing this a really long time. And so it's, it's pretty easy for me to, to kind of look at something and and be able to say, yeah, we tried that for a month, Um, the results didn't look that great, let's shift to do something else. But there are other things that we can try that it may take six months to figure out, is this working or is it not working? Uh, And I think you just have to understand as you build a strategy, having different components, they're not all measured the same. And I, I think just having an understanding of that. And when we stood up our recruitment team, I was intentional to look for talent that's been doing this work and they understand industry from a recruitment perspective. And that's the key is, is rounding out a team that can lean in on each other's expertise. And so really having someone uh, stepping into that director role that really understood how do I stand up a recruitment team? What are the components of a team? And it's not just a recruiter. We have what's called a sourcing specialist. Their job is simply building a pipeline. They don't screen, they just look for people that have X qualifications and they funnel those to those recruiters and those recruiters are screening based on their school, their specific school needs. And so those two working in tandem and being in close contact with school leaders, that's what makes any strategy work. You can build a strategy, but if you don't know what to do with what you have in your pipeline, then you still aren't meeting the need. Mm -hmm.
0: And did did you kind of predetermine what your metrics you're hoping would be, your goals, what a success look like, or is that ever changing based on the landscape?
1: I think it's ever changing based on the landscape. Obviously, you you always want to improve your performance um, when it comes to one around the recruitment strategy, I think that measurement is seeing an increase in your applicant traffic. I mean, in qualified applicant traffic. So that's that's the high level success of any recruitment strategy. Is are we attracting talent? Are we attracting the talent that we need? That's that's a marker. But then when you start thinking about the other pieces of the work, then you have to figure out, so we're attracting the talent, uh, but are we actually making the hire? So you get people in the pipeline, but are they converting to a hire? And if you can get that end-to-end success, then you're meeting the need.
0: Yeah, then it becomes repeatable. So in the business world, we talk about a repeatable business where you know I can collect top of funnel people here. Here's how I'm able to find prospects, prospective employees, I have conversion rates, you optimize all the parts of that funnel. And then know for every job posting on this, I'm going to get X number of applicants, which is gonna result in X number of, of converted people, in this case being employees that were hired. Yeah, it becomes kind of a science.
1: It is. It is to some degree. It is a science. And that's what, what I was talking about when I um, said you have to be able to look at your performance to determine, okay, is this working or is it not working? And the data will tell you if it's working. But when you look at a click click rate of an email campaign, if no one's opening the email, it's not successful. And so your, your open rate and read rate need to meet that threshold. And and so ensuring that we're always in tune to what's happening with what we're doing and that we're looking at the data and we're pivoting and adjusting as we need to and as we go keeps the strategy fresh and it keeps it relevant.
0: So I know I'm going to shift just a little bit here and go back and revisit the, the teacher voice for just a second because I think that's so important. And I, I always take notes in conversations um, and I circled that I didn't decide that we listened in terms of the idea of the promotion specifically. Can you take us into the thought process behind how do we determine what teachers are looking for? Again, over 11,000 teachers. Did you have, or what was your system to collect input? Were you fairly narrowly focused when collecting teacher input to decide how to move forward? Can you peel back that curtain just a little bit for us?
1: Yes. So we started out, With a narrow focus, we were using or reaching out to teachers who were a part of our either teacher think tank, um, teachers as leaders, cohort. Uh, And then we started hearing from, from teachers, I want my voice to be heard. We were hearing from board members that their constituents were saying they want their voice to be heard. So we stepped back and decided we would open our feedback up to everyone. So we created a survey, and we sent, launched the survey to every teacher, every actually every certified professional. So whether you were a teacher, a counselor, a behavior coach, an assistant principal, if you were certified, that survey went out. And we asked just some very simple questions around what they wanted to see in a pathway, in a a teacher leader pathway. What was important to them as a teacher? How could we support them in meeting their goals around seeking promotion? What supports did they need in the classroom? So those types of things were the questions that we asked. And we had over 600 teachers respond to that survey, and we aggregated the data. And within that data, everyone who raised their hand to participate either had an opportunity to participate in a focus group, to work on a design team. So we created a teacher leader pathway design team made up of teachers, made up of behavior coaches made up of staff development professionals here in the district office who uh, obviously are helping to lead that work. Uh, Our compensation team is involved in it because they're going to have to create these job descriptions. We've allowed the team to create competencies, um, teacher leader competencies. And we've talked with our teacher advisory council groups at every level so we have sought out teacher voice in a number of different ways, and we have taken that information and we've aggregated that to learn what's important to teachers and what they want to do.
0: And what does ongoing kind of maintenance of this program look like? Do you Are you keeping those same groups together, continuing surveys?
1: So we're keeping those groups together. Um, so what we've done, we spent some time this past school year figuring out who we needed to be talking to, we've had those conversations, we've aggregated the data. This year, this school year, we will be focusing on clearly designing that job description, getting that stood up, getting it evaluated, determining what the pay would look like and all of that. And our goal is to implement that program this school year.
0: And then how will you determine what, because there'll be some tweaks needed along the way, as is the case for any new initiative. How will you determine what those tweaks are, data collection along the way? What's that look like for you?
1: So we have um, some standing um, teacher, teacher groups that we can always lean into for voice. We have our TAC, which, which is our teacher advisory council. We have an elementary TAC, a middle TAC, and a high school TAC. Those groups meet quarterly each group separate from the other. So every month we're meeting with a teacher group. Uh, Then we have the teachers as leaders cohort, which is a group of teachers recommended by their principal to participate in just professional structured professional development. Then we have a teacher think tank where uh, that's led by Rebecca Carlisle. So that think tank they take whatever that subject is for for that particular day and they work through learning what's important to teachers and what teachers need to get out of that program. And so all of those voices combined will give us a vehicle to continue to solicit voice and to understand, is this working? Is this what you want And if we need to tweak and go back?
0: Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And it's it's a recurring theme from guests on the podcast, this idea of making sure we're collecting teacher voice. And I think every former teacher I've had on said that was the number one reason that they left. They didn't feel supported. They didn't feel appreciated. They didn't feel valued. So I appreciate that, that you're really focusing on that. Almost out of time, Kathy, I could talk to you probably forever, but your schedule wouldn't allow for that. I have, I have a couple of just uh, quick questions for the end. If you can go back and give yourself advice before you began your career in HR what would that advice be?
1: Oh, wow. It's been so long. (laughs) I've been doing this a really long time. I won't say how many years, but a really long time. I would probably say the best advice I could give a younger version of myself would be the recipe for success is to ensure that you listen to your stakeholders and that you ask first before you implement. You know, I think Seek first to understand. And I think that empathy piece has to resonate in your work at every level. Um, You know, being young, coming into an industry, you're gung-ho, you want to have an impact. But I think the best advice is to find out what people need first before you go off and start creating, Uh, because you could be creating something that no one really needs.
0: True wisdom right there. Thanks for sharing that. And what is one action or strategy you hope every listener listening today can walk away with and implement in their own building, in their own district, in their own classroom?
1: This is something I say, if not every day, close to every day. Everyone owns retention. Retention is not an HR thing alone. We have responsibility for creating programs to support retention But retention really is centered around the culture that you have in your local workspace, whether that's a building, your school building, whether that's a department, a division, a hospital, doesn't matter. If you create a space that's safe, where people feel respected, valued, and they have a sense of belonging, you will have a great culture and you will very likely have high retention. So those those are I think those are keys.
0: I agree. What's a celebration that you've recently experienced? Could be personally, could be professionally.
1: I'm about to hit one year with Gwinnett County Public Schools. Um, it's been a whirlwind year. I have learned an exorbitant amount, but I feel very honored and pleased with having made this decision. I feel very welcomed by the organization. Uh, it's just been an extraordinary year, and I'm looking forward to year two and seeing what that holds and seeing what impact we can make. Yeah,
0: congratulations on that. Thank you. And if people listening want to get a hold of you, what's the best way of them doing that?
1: Uh, certainly can reach out to me on LinkedIn, right there on LinkedIn, uh, highly active uh, and engaged there or they can just reach out to me at kathy.harden at gcpsk12.org.
0: Perfect. I appreciate that. Well, Kathy, thanks for the conversation today. It's been an absolute joy for me.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Eric, for considering me and I appreciate the invitation.
0: This has been the Employee Experience in Education podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks and have a wonderful day.